1: Here from the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com, the Michigan football team hosts Bowling Green this weekend for the final non-conference game of, of the early 2023 slate. We are going to be talking some Bowling Green Falcons football today, but we're going to do things in a little bit of a different order. If you've been listening to this show throughout the year, you know we talk Michigan's upcoming opponent, and then we talk Michigan State and Ohio State. But given the news out of East Lansing over the weekend and throughout this week, we are going to first talk Michigan State. So stay tuned for my conversation with Stephen Brooks from Spartan Tailgate from our 24-7 Sports Network. And then after that, we'll talk some Bowling Green and wrap things up with the Buckeyes. Let's get started. So as I've had every week through this point in the season, I've got Stephen Brooks from Spartan Tailgate on the line with me to talk about the week it's been, and it's only Tuesday um, in East Lansing. Uh, Steven, there's a politics podcast that I used to listen to, um, particularly, you know, around the 2016 election that would always begin by saying exactly what date and time the podcast was recorded because things could change by the time people listen to it. And I think it's important that we start with that, is that this podcast was recorded on Tuesday, September 12th at 3.39 p.m. And things may have changed by the time you listen to this, because things are a little bit tumultuous in East Lansing right now. We're not going to dive too much into the specifics um, of the allegations surrounding Mel Tucker. Um, Neither of us are lawyers, and there is a legal and disciplinary process that has to play out. It's a sensitive topic. and from that standpoint, it deserves respect uh, and we absolutely give it the respect that that it deserves. At the same time, we are here to talk football and like that's the angle that that we generally take as reporters, as journalists. Um, so simply put, where we're we're at right now is that Mel Tucker has been suspended without pay. And there will be new coaches on the sidelines or new acting coaches on the sidelines for Michigan state for the foreseeable future on the story itself. I was shocked. I, most of the college football world was shocked. So Steven, I, I kind of want to start with, with that is in not about, you know, the specific allegations themselves, but this is just a massive earthquake uh, that, that has, you know hit the program. What has the reaction been like both within the program uh but also among the Michigan state community that that you're interacting with on a regular basis on the twenty four seven message boards uh and and across east Lansing
2: yeah, yeah, certainly shock of course um I think I'm glad you mentioned today Tuesday, I think people are just now transitioning into their next phase, whatever that is, but I you know all of Sunday. I mean, some people woke up to it on Sunday. Some people were still up late on, from Saturday night and saw the reports come out. Um, so Sunday and Monday, I think, were very much shock and confusion and sort of processing. And now it's like, what is next? Uh, where does it go from here? You know, can the program recover? Uh, what should be the next moves? You know, who are head coaches that you like? It, it's it's now I think turning to more forward looking. But yeah, absolutely. It was initially shock i mean there's been so much i don't have to tell your listeners there's been so much invested in mel tucker leading this program and and where he could take it and and was supposed to or was hired to do you know just where there's so many people had bought in now the last year and a half had some people falling off of course um and and maybe some people were never fully bought in but a, a good chunk of the fan base was especially you go back to Whatever the day was when when Michigan came over here in twenty twenty one after that you know the contract came soon after that so you know expectations were high and even if you didn't even if you weren't the biggest Mel Tucker fan like you obviously were rooting for him to succeed right I mean you kind of had to you were so tied to him financially and he's as much as he's overhauled the program and put his his stamp on things so um, it just seemed like it was a you know they were in the middle of a a big, big, big build, you know, a massive skyscraper type of project. And now it seems like, you know, the cranes and everything are still there, but the building's only partially complete Now everyone's like, well, what do we do with this? Where where do we even, where do we go from here? So yeah, a lot of shock, a lot of confusion. And, uh, and again, you know, now I think it's mostly like, we're trying to rally around the kids, you know, of course you feel for them. I mean, my gosh, you grind for nine months in the off season, the winter, the summer, spring, all those things. And now, let's be realistic their seasons will be starting this weekend with Washington. I mean, all due respect to central Michigan and Richmond, but their season really begins now. And for them to have the rug pulled like this, uh, you feel for them, you feel for the coaches who you have to assume, know that they're only going to be here a couple more weeks, you know, Um, because we can get into it and take it wherever you want. But the, you know, it's very clear that this ends with Mel Tucker, no longer being the football coach here, if that wasn't clear already, whether it's a firing or a negotiated separation, you know, we'll figure, we'll figure that out uh, as time progresses here. But make no doubt about it. Mel Tucker has coached his last game at Michigan State. Yeah.
1: Whatever happens over the next few weeks or months, it's probably not going to be pretty, right? And and that's kind of the... That's what happens when you get lawyers involved and you have a legal process that's, that's about to happen. But, you know, you've had... You've had Mel Tucker releasing statements through his lawyers, um as we mentioned, there's gonna be a disciplinary hearing scheduled for October fifth, um which I believe is Michigan state's bye week uh but it's an indefinite suspension um and and there are still football games to be played uh and and as you mentioned, the first one is is the big one, the one that Michigan State fans have had circled on their calendar for for the, at least the beginning portion. Uh, of the 2023 season and all, all of a sudden the attention turns from, from a football game to, to what's going on beyond uh, the realms of, of the gridiron, uh, but to the football effect. Um, I, I, we were talking offline about how you haven't had a chance to speak officially, you know, in press conferences uh, with Michigan state players. And that's probably, a reasonable decision uh, given everything that the program is going through right now, similar to Northwestern, not sending student athletes to big 10 media days after what their program went through um, in, in the off season. It's not up to the student athletes to answer questions that should be asked of the administration and of the staff right at, at the Michigan state football program. So I think it's very reasonable that you're not talking to players that being said, there is now new elevated leadership uh, on the Michigan state football program, uh, including Harlan Barnett, who's going to be the interim coach. Uh, he's a Michigan state alumnus. He is, you know, he worked a lot with the program, uh, both under Mel Tucker and under Mark D'Antonio. And, you know, he's a defensive backs. He's a defensive guy. Uh, I know you've had a chance to speak with him. What, what, what have those conversations been like and what, I guess, what can he do to salvage what was a semi-promising start to the season and has all of a sudden just completely shifted course?
2: Yeah, so with Harlan Barnett, he has been um, talking to some people last night. He has has wanted to be a head coach for a while, which I guess I really didn't know. And then he had his press conference today and and came out and said, you know, he's what I just said. He's wanted to be a head coach for a while. Of course, his dream would be the head coach. At Michigan State where he played and has coached uh, I think 14 collective years now so, or not maybe it's it might be I think it's more than that actually I think it's 17 I want to say um anyway that has been around a lot and then they did bring Mark Antonio back as his title is as associate head coach but Barnett is in charge as the acting head coach um you know and just to be abundantly clear it's probably obvious to folks but I mean Mark Antonio is not going to be scheming up third down packages you know i mean that's not what he's here for of course he recruited some of these players still they're still around including noah kim the quarterback but he is mostly just to be sort of a calming presence you know steady the ship for a while help barnett be a head coach um because their relationship goes back you know decades um but it's not like he's going to be on there you know making calls or anything it's not an x's and o's thing but that's probably obvious but i've had some people uh, some read some comments and everything that, that maybe I guess it's not that obvious. So I felt like I should say that with Barnett. Yeah. I mean, it's there's some of that still applies too, though. I mean, you just want to see him. He's never been in this role. Okay. I mean, so there's that, but you, but you want to see him obviously calm the waters, you know, um, demonstrate, you know, leadership, uh, get the guys to buy in and get them to play hard. I think is what you're looking at now. I mean, I never had much faith that they were going to beat this Washington team anyway, you know, now there's there's so many different factors in play. I mean, we've we've seen it right where adversity strikes, a team rallies and put forth an effort that you just don't see coming. That's a un- little uncharacteristic in a good way, you know. So maybe they can have a Disney movie type of moment on Saturday. I still doubt it because I just think Washington's that good, um, and they're built in a way where their passing game is just so prolific. They've got multiple pros at receiver. Michael Penix is outstanding. And they're built in a way to sort of poke the wound of Michigan State's defense, which is that back end that's young and untested. And, and maybe we'll, we'll turn into something as soon as this year. But right now, we just don't know about those guys yet. So um, from the football side, it doesn't look great. But when you ask about Barnett, I mean, yeah, I think folks just want to see him, you know, just like I, I mean, it sounds simple, but like show leadership. Right. I mean, it's it's what happened was so. Bizarre and, and lacking, you know, judgment and, and leadership and maturity that uh, I think that alone just run a, run a clean, smooth operation. You know, don't don't have ridiculous stuff happened in games. Be Play discipline, play clean. Um, don't lose games by coaching, you know, and just keep the team together, keep the program together. Just put something I guess I could have just said it as simple as it, but like put something out there, put forth a product that fans can be proud of. You know, nobody's expecting them to make a run at the Big Ten here or do anything ridiculous, but just you know, don't embarrass the fan base and the supporters, the players, those 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 guys, parents, the staff, all that stuff. Just just you know, put forth an admirable admirable showing to give people something that they can you know at least tip their cap to at the end of the day. Again, no one's expecting trophies or titles or anything like that, but um, it it could also you know we've all seen these things sink. In crater into the middle of the earth too, so don't let that happen. You know, sort of just steady things. If they could keep a couple recruits on board, of course, maybe somehow pick up some more. But that seems completely unrealistic. Uh, yeah, just provide a good experience for who's left. Uh, meaning the players, of course. First of all, give them a good experience for this year. You only get so many college football seasons. Uh, whatever happens next year, happen. You know, wherever they think that they're going to be next year, whether it's here, the NFL, or another school. They still have things to play for. They still all need and want good tape um, for any of those three scenarios. So if you're Barnett, yeah, just make it a good experience for everybody. Make 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 the fans feel good at home with with some competent football. But most importantly, make sure the kids, uh, you know, have an oppor- have a season that's worthwhile. I guess is the best way to put it.
1: Yeah, this feels like the sort of football like game that when Michigan State takes the field uh, on on Saturday late afternoon. I think it's a five o'clock kickoff against. Washington, if I'm not mistaken, feels like the sort of game that Michigan State fans and players and the coaches that are left on the staff are just going to be really appreciative of the fact that they can play a football game and have a bit of the conversation around them shifted away from the things that were outside of their control entirely and have nothing to do with them and be able to do you know what they are either employed or attending Michigan State University to do um which is at least in part to to compete at and, and win football games. I I've got to ask uh with Mark D'Antonio, it's you know it's been a f- he's been retired. It's been a few years, of course, since he's been the fixture in East Lansing that he once was. What's what's the sentiment among the fan base that he is back in this role with the program? I mean certainly Mark D'Antonio elevated Michigan State to uh to excellent heights, right? He took Michigan state to, to the college football playoff before Michigan got there. One of the first big 10 teams to get there. But then I know the last few seasons under D'Antonio were, were a letdown number one, and he left under not fantastic terms. It seemed with the university. So, so what's it like from, from that perspective, having him back?
2: The feedback and everything that I see and read and hear is, is overwhelmingly positive. Um, You know, Marc Antonio, as you said, the the end was not great in in several fronts, but he's still the winningest coach here. He still gave people some memories that, like, you know, they'll take to their deathbed, whether you're talking about the Rose Bowl or the Rocket play or trouble with the snap, whatever. There's so many moments that are burned into people's memories from his era in a good way. Um, So, Absolutely. And his, his legacy was, I say all I'd say, his legacy was always going to age well. You know, there were people that definitely wanted him out by the end of that, or even sooner, you know, than he did step away. So there were some ruffled feathers and maybe, you know, some people had soured on him a little bit at the end, but his legacy was always going to age well in terms of what he did for this program, where he took it and winning three big tens, all, all the different things that he did. Um, and so he's a celebrated figure. People are happy to see him around. And when you think back to what he initially did, why they, how when people first fell in love with Mark D'Antonio, maybe, maybe love's a strong word, but where they first bought into him was because he steadied the waters of a of a tumultuous program coming off of John L. Smith and coming off even, you know, two decades before that of, of highs and lows, peaks and valleys, all you know, nothing was consistent until Mark d'Antonio got here. And uh, you know, not that he's gonna be the guy that does that again necessarily, but it just, that's, that's where they first know him from is providing some stability and just sort of an adult in the room. Um, so, yeah, th- th- I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of people happy to see him back, happy to hear that, that they made that call to him, that he was willing to come back and everything. And um, now that, that being said, you know, I don't think anybody wants him to take over, re- regain control of the program, you know, as head coach, I don't think he wants that uh, either, to be honest. So I, I don't, you know, as long as you're not mistaking this as, the permanent fix or anything, but for him to come back and sort of be, you know, the substitute teacher that everybody loves. um, I think there's a cool element of that. Uh, You know, again, there's still a, as many of his players got ran out of the program or, you know, uh, moved on, graduated, went to the NFL, whatever. uh, There's still a decent amount that that he recruited. Um, So I think overall, it's a lot of uh, positive feelings, but, you know, if you know him at all, or you just observed him, like he's not going to be like front and center, you know, he's not a, big rah-rah look-at-me guy, so I don't know if or when, you know, he'll talk to the media. Um, I don't even know if he'll be on the sidelines versus in the booth. Uh, that was not clarified today. They said he'll have a headset for whatever the worth. But, um, yeah, overwhelmingly I think people are really, you know, he, he's a he's a familiar, comfortable sight. People have, like I said, those warm feelings come back right away. You see that guy. So, in a time where you're feeling shame, you're embarrassed, and, and uncertain about things, I think him coming back as a steady and presence is something that a lot of people are really excited about.
1: Yeah, if if Mark Dantonio is going to be that a uh, fun substitute teacher, uh, maybe we'll see Bill Nye the Science Guy uh, on the sidelines uh, in East Lansing this weekend. Um, but <laughs> that that aside, uh, if if he's not the permanent guy, right? It's you. Know, Michigan State is suddenly thrust into very tumultuous territory and and very uncertain territory. So so we'll wrap up with this: is like looking at the future. Um, certainly there is a process that still has to happen with Mel Tucker. He he is suspended. He is not fired. And from a legal perspective, quite frankly, I, I don't know how much Michigan state can do at looking toward other coaches and, and beginning that process, because you can't, maybe, maybe you can't do that while Mel Tucker is still technically not, you know, he's still technically an employee of, of Michigan state university, but you know, big picture uh, when he was employed by Michigan State, he transformed the program. Right? Is he took a program that that Mark D'Antonio had had formed in his image of you know being gritty of developing players a, and under under Mel Tucker, it was you know, we're going to hit the transfer portal and we are going to you know, we're going to get Kenneth Walker and turn him into you know what should have been a Heisman finalist and and win you know 10 plus games by taking advantage of these new resources that are available to us, which is not what Michigan state had done before. Uh, So, so now Michigan state, does it go in a different direction? Like what I know there were people who were not always happy with the way that Mel Tucker, you know, approached the program and last season did not go as well as people thought it might've this season was not going to go as well as, you know, some of the heights, some of the highs that Michigan State had had in, in the not too distant past. So so I know it's very early to be asking this question and things will absolutely change in, in the weeks and months to come. But what's the sense of where Michigan State as a football program, where does the ship turn in the future?
2: Yeah, I'll start by saying uh, Harlan Barnett mentioned today in his press conference that, you know, it's his understanding that, because yeah, this is fairly rare. I mean, we see interims every year, and acting, you know, acting interim, whatever. But like, he can get ten games. You don't see that too often. So he he said uh, it's his understanding that you know this will he will have the opportunity to to throw his hat in the ring for that. You know, if and when that time comes, and you know, that's of course the assumption from everybody that that this job is going to come open uh, at some point. So you know, he'll he'll factor in somewhere. I think depending on how this season goes, I think he'd still probably be a long shot. And last thing, you know, he really works magic this year. And so then, you know, Michigan State, uh, the community, you know, the athletic department, the leadership was still an interim university president. The donor base, the the high level of the donor base is going to have to figure out what they're willing to do and who they want to be. Because Mel Tucker didn't hear no very often. You know, he he wanted the contract. He got that. He wanted the football building. He got that. He wanted a big support staff. He got that. He wanted a big coach, a big assistant pool. For salaries, you know, support staff, assistance, creative, all that type of stuff, nutritionists. He got all that. Yeah, I don't know if he was ever told no, quite honestly. So Michigan State was all in. Are they willing to continue to do that now that it just kind of blew up in their face? You know, are the donors going to pull back and say, wait a second, I'm not just writing any more huge blind checks here or, you know, I'm going to double down and, and here's even more. Maybe it goes that way. I, I don't know, but they're going to have to, all the power players are going to have to be on the same page and figure out what they want to be. Um, because things are only getting more competitive with the way the conference is going. Uh, the sport, you know, is changing to where your team is just your team year to year. You really don't have a program. It's, it's like every year is in its own vacuum almost because it's so hard to retain players, especially the where Michigan state is on the pecking order right now and um, where that will, what type of NIL situation are they able to have? Do they want to have, you know, again, how much do you pay, kids right out of high school to lure them here? How much are you saving to retain players that you found and develop? Uh, you know, your, how much are you paying your starters versus keeping guys in the pipeline that you wanted to, you know, all those things. Um, I mean, Michigan State, look, they've shown their willingness, man, and they have the money. It's not that, but, but it's, it's, well, it's not that the money isn't there, I guess I'm saying, but will the willingness still be there? Um, that's something that they're going to have to figure out. Now, this is awful. This is ugly. Nobody wanted this. Nobody likes this. But you know, if you want to try and look hard in, at a silver lining, it does give Alan Haller the AD three months here to basically game this out, you know, and come up with a lot of different ideas to vet different people. You know, he just hired a women's basketball coach, um, a couple mo- you know, earlier this summer. And, uh, there was reporting later that he went. She, Robin Freilich from Bowling Green is who he hired, and there was uh, reporting that he went out, went down to a Bowling Green game, in just nondescript, like all black clothing or something, no Michigan State logos, no nothing. set up, I think, in, in you know, in the upper deck or but not anywhere uh, fancy in the arena or anything, and just sort of took in the vibes incognito. You know, asked some fans what they thought of her and stuff. So if he wants to make a few covert trips like that or something and do something and get his homework done early, um, that is an advantage. You know, they will have time to get this right. And everything I just said about getting all the other people on board, there will be time to make that happen too, which is the opposite of how Mel Tucker got here, where it was a very rushed of the worst possible time, basically in the calendar to be doing it. Um, So Michigan state, and they're kind of first to market here, I guess maybe Northwestern we'll see what happens there, but they're one, they're the or one of the first power five jobs that's open so they'll have the opportunity to make a very, very informed hire. And, uh, and I'll just add real quick, you know, Alan Haller has been the AD for two years now, going on two years, I want to say. And he's made several hires um, in the, you know, the Olympic non-revenue sports side. And his track record so far suggests that he will look for a proven head coach that, you know, maybe has done it at a lower level, like a Robin Fralick from Bowling Green to Michigan State. Um, he's done it elsewhere with softball um i want to say women's soccer as well um but that's that's his track record thus far and he had a huge hand in hiring mel tucker as well even though he was not the ad in title at that time so so when you're looking at people or names to watch you know don't rule out i guess somebody who's having success at a at a perceived lower level or something like that but somebody who has been a head coach before i don't I don't know as much about the hot coordinator name or something like that, you know, to be a first time head coach just doesn't seem to be his style. So, yeah, I'm sure we can talk about that a lot more as as we move forward. But um, it's going to be fascinating. Again, the biggest thing is just Michigan State has to figure out what they want to be and, and, and uh, what they're willing to invest, because I think this this is a shakeup. Obviously, that's making everybody question everything.
1: Certainly a lot of questions will be asked and answered uh, out of East Lansing uh, in the weeks, months, and and potentially years to come. Uh, Steven, thank you so much for for taking this time out of what I know has been a, a very busy week for you. Uh, you can follow Steven over at, at Spartan Tailgate, which is part of our 24-7 Sports Network. Uh, he's on Twitter at Steven M underscore Brooks. Steven, I'm sure you're looking forward to to having an actual football game uh, to cover this weekend. Um, but thank you, and we will talk more next week.
2: Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you soon.
3: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like,
1: We turn our attention now to the Bowling Green Falcons who are coming to Ann Arbor for the final non-conference game of Michigan's 2023 season. Excited to have with me today Chase Bachman. Chase is a sports reporter and anchor at WTOL 11 in Toledo, also a Bowling Green alumnus. Chase, Bowling Green is one and one this season. Uh, They opened their year with a loss at Liberty One at home against Eastern Illinois and are coming to Ann Arbor as 39 point underdogs. All that being said, there's a lot of buzz uh, around Bowling Green about this game, as we were just talking about off air. Why is
0: that? Um, I think it's just the, for one thing, the proximity of the two programs. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of overlap in terms of, you know, people who are Michigan fans tend to congregate around Ohio. There's plenty of people from Uh, Bowling Green, who have gone off into the world, including Southeast Michigan, and just the connections between the two programs. Obviously, Jack Harbaugh, who's a graduate of Bowling Green, who goes on to uh, be an assistant coach at Michigan. Scott Leffler, who is an assistant coach at Michigan, goes on to be a head coach at uh, Bowling Green now. So um, just the, I guess the, uh, you know, connections between the two schools are um, strong. They've been, you know, decades in the making. So obviously a lot of history between these two programs and it's something that a lot of people recognize and appreciate.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Bowling Green's sports information director or or their PR staff did a great job on the game notes this week. Uh, it's, I mean, as a journalist and someone who's covering, you know, covering teams that you might not know as much about, it's, uh, it makes my job a lot easier, but they did a great job in kind of listing out all of the connections between Bowling Green uh, and the University of Michigan. And you just named a few of them, but just to Uh, Just to make sure we get their names out there, head coach, uh, Scott Leffler, uh, obviously University of Michigan, former quarterback, uh, former assistant with the program. He was, I believe, a a GA or a student assistant uh, in 97 when Michigan won its national championship. Uh, Co-defensive coordinator, Steve Morrison, uh, pass game coordinator, Eric Campbell, uh, all Michigan, uh, Michigan grads. And then the Harbaugh family themselves, right? We've spent a lot of time this week uh obviously talking to Jim Harbaugh. It's rare that you'll see the head coach of one school singing the unofficial fight song of the school they're about to be facing. Uh, but but Jim Harbaugh on the radio last night was singing I Ziggy Zumba, uh, which uh it's uh you, you just don't see that very often. It's not oh, you well, don't get-
0: seen it before
1: yeah. Uh you you know I don't think I've heard Jim Harbaugh sing before. So <laughs> uh so so that was new to me. Uh but this uh this bowling green program uh and what Scott Leffler and his staff have done, it's it's been a, a very big rebuild, right? And I was reading that when he took over, uh, it was it had been the three worst seasons of bowling green football, and those followed the three prior were the three worst seasons of bowling green football record-wise. So it's been a, a long rebuild. I guess why has it been such a long rebuild? What happened to to get to this point? And where is Bowling Green in that process?
0: Uh, Well, I think a lot of people in Bowling Green probably trace it back to just a decade ago when Bowling Green was one of the best programs at the MAC. If you remember, I mean, they were going to three straight MAC title games. They were uh, beating teams like Northern Illinois. They had won MAC titles in 2013 and 2015. Uh, It was after that 2015 team, Dino Babers ends up leaving the program, takes the Syracuse job, uh, and then Bowling Green hires a guy named Mike Jinks uh, in the next. Two and a half years, they end up going a combined seven and 24, so about as bad as it can go probably for a program, um, and that's where Scott Leffler comes into the picture. Um, he starts off in 2019 um, and 2020, the COVID year. Um, they were one of the youngest teams in college football. I think I tallied it somewhere. The 2020 team uh, was 65% freshmen, so I mean, one of the youngest teams that you could possibly have. They were relying on the transfer portal a ton. <laughs> to try to make up their roster. So it's just one of the toughest rebuilds in college football. It's still obviously happening right now. They're trying to get to a point where they're competing for MAC championships to go to bowl games. Um, And obviously they reached one of those goals last year. They got to a bowl game. Um, They've been kind of in contention for a MAC title. So they're, they're just continuing to try to rebuild, but it's been one of the tougher jobs in college football.
1: Now, one thing that struck me when I was looking at that Bowling Green roster is typically when when you think of programs and rebuilds and I mean honestly, when you look at any program across the college football landscape, you you'd expect there to be a lot of incoming transfers and a lot of, you know, a lot of transfer portal action. And it at least in terms of, you know, the the two deep, there just isn't a ton of that on Bowling Green. That being said, one name that will be very familiar to Michigan fans, Uh, is Connor Basilak, right? He was the quarterback at Indiana last year. Uh, He's, you know, he's been the signal caller for these first couple of games for Bowling Green. Really struggled in that opener. Uh, I I think his passing line, if if I wrote that down correctly, was six for 21 with three interceptions, which is yikes, Um, but rebounded well last week uh, back at home against Eastern Illinois. He went 23 for 28, uh, 319 passing yards and three touchdowns. You know, one thing when I was watching some of the highlights against Liberty, you know, they, Connor Basilac, you know, he was pressured quite a bit. Uh, you know, the, the havoc rate uh, for, for Liberty was quite high, um, and he had a much cleaner pocket against Eastern Illinois. Uh, but I guess walk us through that Bowling Green offense a little bit. What's what's Connor Basilac shown uh, in, you know, his short stint so far, and who are some of the other offensive weapons that Michigan fans should keep an eye on?
0: Yeah, obviously Basilac is a name that Michigan fans are familiar with from Indiana last year. Um, between Liberty and Eastern Illinois, now obviously the level of competition is different going from on the road at Liberty to at home against an FCS opponent. Um, but it really was kind of a night and day performance in terms of the interceptions thrown uh, against Liberty versus, you know, 23 for 28, I think was the stat line that he had against Eastern Illinois. I mean, A really much improved uh, game for Basilac. Um, And not just him. I mean, they've got a couple of wide receivers that are very good. Um, Odu Hilaire is somebody who's got a 37-game reception streak, I think it was, going all the way back to his freshman year at Alabama A&M, which was 2019. So he's been one of the most consistent wide receivers uh, in college football. Um, Tight end Harold Fannin Jr., he had 100 yards receiving last week against Eastern Illinois. He's obviously another steady presence uh, on the offense. Um, got a running back, Teron Keith, another guy who was a hundred-yard receiver. So a couple of guys that can uh, obviously, you know, when they get the ball in their hands, that they can do some stuff in the open field. Um, on the offense, you've obviously got the in the backfield, uh, Terrion Stewart, who's one of the more uh dominating uh forces for the offense. Missed out last year uh for mental health reasons, uh, sat out. He's back now. He's been one of the uh most Uh, you know, talented people that they've had in the backfield uh, averages more than six yards a carry, which I think is a uh, program best all time uh, in terms of uh, yards per carry. Had a couple of touchdowns last week against Illinois. So he's somebody who when he gets into the open field, he can make stuff happen. And then they also rely on him in short yardage situations down near the goal line to score. So, um, you know, obviously some really talented guys and they'll have to see what they can do against uh, a much more talented uh, defense than they're probably used to seeing. I mean, if not probably the most talented defense that they will see in their college football careers. So a couple of talented guys, um, you know, they're going to see what they can try to attack here, you know, cause there's not too many weaknesses on the, on the Michigan front seven or the back end.
1: Yeah, it's uh it, when you talk to coaches when you know when you talk to say Michigan's coaches they're always going to say nice things about you know whatever opponent they're facing right um but you know but Jim Harbaugh was especially complimentary of of what Bowling Green is doing offensively I mean he said flat out uh that Bowling Green runs some things some some receiver patterns some things in their passing game uh that he thinks Michigan should scout and then steal um so so that's uh you know obviously complimentary of a uh, of someone, uh, of a coach that he's friends with and Scott Leffler and, and you know, of that rebuild that he's doing. Uh, but Hilaire uh, that that you mentioned as that receiver, he he stood out to me as well. Um, I, I saw he had a, a couple touchdown, you know, 200 plus receiving yards game. I don't know if that was last year or a couple of years ago against Toledo. Uh, but, you know, seems like Bowling Green really tries to get the ball in his hands. And it seems like anytime the ball is near his hands, he manages to pull it in. So so that'll be a test uh, for a Michigan secondary, I think that yeah, that not, not that they've struggled because they certainly haven't, but they've had a few guys banged up and are working their starters back in. Uh, and, and then you mentioned uh, a running back, Taryn Keith, uh, who had 100-plus yards receiving uh, last game against Eastern Illinois. A thing that stood out to me is that all 100 receiving yards uh, were after the catch. Uh, so he was getting the ball a lot around the line of scrimmage uh, and making things happen once the ball was in his hands. Um, so a couple of names to watch there as, as we turn now uh, to the defensive side of the ball chase uh, you know, th- it's a unit that gave up a, a lot of yards against Liberty. Now Liberty is a team that historically, and especially recently uh, has been a very potent offensive team, right? Uh, still gave up 300 plus yards last week against Eastern Illinois. Uh, what are some things Michigan fans should be watching for, you know, when Michigan has the ball?
0: Uh, obviously, when it comes to defense, uh, the go-to guys for them are, are Darren Anders and uh, their inside linebacker core. I mean, they are guys who get to the ball a lot. I, I think uh, Darren Anders is closing in a 300-yard mark uh, or the 300-tackle mark for his career. Um, one of the guys who's been a really consistent presence for them uh, all four years that he's played, um, you know, I think he averages something like 10 tackles a game. So he's going to be a guy who is going to have to get in a lot uh, on those plays and and try to shut down, you know, that running attack from Corum, from Edwards. He's going to try to, um, you know, shut things down like that. They're going to try to get into the backfield. um, But again, this is one of those, you know, most talented offensive lines that Bowling Green's had to go up against. So um, it's tough to say really how they're going to fare against uh, something that, you know, some group that talented, um, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. Um, another guy to look out for, uh, Joseph Sip Jr. Uh, was another guy. I think he's uh, top 25 in the country right now in tackles. Um, ranks third in the MAC right now in tackles. Uh, another guy who obviously gets in on a lot of plays. Um, he's going to be a name that you probably hear a lot um, as uh, Bowling Green plays. A um, couple of guys on the edge, uh, Demetrius Hardiman, uh Davon Ferguson, both guys have kind of shown an ability to get into the backfield and uh, get to the quarterback. But Obviously, like I've said before, that's going to be a tough thing to do against a, a good offensive line in Michigan and obviously a very mobile quarterback in JJ McCarthy. So uh, it'll be interesting to see that battle kind of play out over four quarters.
1: Yeah, I was certainly JJ McCarthy has had two of the best games of his uh, of his career, uh, and and yeah, opponent caveats apply. But you know when he's setting passing percentage records as he did in Week One and then came very close to doing that again last week against UNLV. Uh one thing that Michigan's coaches are are very, very happy with is no sacks. Um no sacks so far against uh that Michigan offensive line. JJ McCarthy obviously, you know, identifying protections and moving in the pocket has something to do with it. Uh and a Michigan offense that if you're nitpicking, um, it's that the ground game has not gotten going uh in the way you'd expect given Michigan's success uh in that aspect in 2021 and 2022. Um all that being said. And as you've sort of alluded to uh, over the last couple of minutes, uh, this is a 39 point spread uh, at last I saw, you know, this is not a game that, that the odds makers think is going to be particularly close. Um, You know, as, as Michigan fans are looking at a non-conference schedule that has been pretty weak. Uh, The games have sort of played out at least through two weeks as most people expected, right? Is that Michigan, took early leads, built comfortable leads and, you know, scuffled a bit maybe in the fourth quarter with backups in, but in games that never really were in question. Uh, So Chase, as you're watching this game on Saturday, you know, it's going to be under the lights. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun atmosphere and, and hopefully a good experience for the Bowling Green players. Uh, But is there something in particular you're watching for, whether it's to keep the game closer than people expect, or just something uh, that you think Bowling Green can take away from this game as it chases bowl eligibility for another season.
0: I think the one thing that people may be surprised about if if they're not uh, really paying attention to is Bowling Green's special teams. Um, I I think they've kind of quietly had one of the best special teams units in the country. Uh, Michigan is obviously no stranger to, you know, high level special teams play. Um, But I think I saw somewhere the Falcons have blocked 11 kicks uh, since 2021, which is best in the country. Payshon uh, Wimberly is one of those special teams guys. Uh, led the country and blocked punts with three last year, so um, it's a lot of times that those blocks get returned for touchdowns. So don't be surprised if at some point during the game, you know, there's a extra point or a uh, field goal or, or something that gets blocked. Um, and it's not necessarily an indictment of Michigan special teams as much it is it is a uh, you know referendum on how good Bowling Green's special teams is because they just seem to have this ability to. Uh, get their hands up and block kicks and um, you know obviously nobody goes into a football game looking for a special teams battle but I think this will be a really high level chess match between uh, Bowling Green's special teams coach Alex Bayer and uh, Jay Harbaugh so if you're really interested in that um, that'll be something to look for is is the special teams battle.
2: Yeah
1: it's an area Michigan has typically been very strong in these last couple seasons. Uh, I think I saw that, that Bowling Green did have a a blocked field goal returned for a touchdown against Liberty in week one. Uh, and that seemed to kind of kickstart a game that was veering more toward blowout category and gave Bowling Green a chance to stay in it. Uh, and Michigan is breaking a new, new specialists uh, and had some issues in its kicking game in week one. Chase, thank you so much for taking us behind enemy lines and giving us a closer look at Bowling Green. Uh, Chase Bachman, uh, again, he's a sports reporter and anchor at WTOL 11 in Toledo. Uh, Chase, where can folks who want to follow your work, I know you you are very deeply embedded with the Bowling Green program, uh, where can folks follow you throughout this week before this game?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Best place to find me is uh, on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. You can follow me uh, at Chase Bachman. Uh, that's where I can do all my best tweeting.
1: It'll be. I'm curious to see at what point people stop saying X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, or Twitter, or X, or whatever you want to call it. Like, it, nobody just says X. Uh, and this is very much a tangent, but I wonder if that will ever happen, or if the program, or if the uh, the platform will collapse before that does. Uh, anyway, Chase, thank you so much for your time. Stick around. We'll be right back talking about Ohio State. Turn our attention now to the Ohio State Buckeyes. Have with me as I do every week, Patrick Murphy, who covers the Buckeyes for Bucknuts over on Twenty Four Seven Sports. Patrick, Buckeyes beat Youngstown State uh, by a, a very familiar score, thirty-five to seven, uh, equal score line to the Michigan football team. Uh, Western Kentucky is up next for Ohio State. That's a four o'clock kickoff at the Horseshoe. Of course, that's the final kind of tune-up game, if you will. Um yeah, Western Kentucky's got I shouldn't call them just a tune-up game. They've got a, a good offense that will certainly test the Ohio State defense, uh, but before that big marquee showdown with Notre Dame uh coming up in a couple weeks. Uh so, so Patrick, week one to week two, the you know, the the mantra across football really is that's when you see the most growth in a football team. Uh so what were your takeaways? What are what are the areas
4: that Ohio State improved week one to week two? Quarterback play for sure. Kyle McCord certainly looked more comfortable um and I know we talked last week he he was improved you know I thought he had a better second half than a first half and this and he even talked about after the game um this was you know obviously a more comfortable environment playing at home and he'd done it before right he he'd gone out there one game and and pretty much you know even though they haven't named him the full-time starter I think we can all kind of read what the actions are here and and he took the vast majority of the snaps again so I thought that was that was improved, obviously. If you look at the stats, he links up with Marvin Harrison Jr., his high school teammate for two touchdowns. You'd like to see that if you're a Buckeye fan. Uh, and they, they just looked more in rhythm. Uh, it wasn't perfect by any stretch, but certainly a, a step in the right direction. Uh, defensively, again, pretty good. They did allow Youngstown State uh, two drives at the start of either half. One that was Youngstown State's first touchdown, and the other was, um, I believe it ended in an in interception, which was the first turnover of the year for the Buckeyes. So you want to go back and evaluate those if you're one of the defensive coaches and um, what what kind of went wrong there. But everything else was pretty good, as you would expect, against an FCS team. So good to see those two things kind of continue um, in a positive direction if you're a Buckeye fan.
1: Patrick, well, what's the what's the temperature in the room right now with Ohio State fans? It's, uh, you know, it, coming from a Michigan perspective, uh, you know, I'm not as plugged into that fan base. So I kind of hear when, when you're on Twitter, when you're on the message board, sometimes it's, yeah. it's, you know, things are as good as they possibly could be or as worse as as bad as they could be with really no in between. You know, I hear Joel clap. Uh, Over on his fantastic podcast, talking that there should be a a level of concern with Ohio State with how they looked last week or in week one. After, you know, a better offensive outing uh, after, you know, the home opener, a comfortable victory, especially after those first couple series, things cooled down a bit or is there still some concern among Ohio State fans?
4: Uh, There is rarely a week that goes by, and I say that in or out of the season, where there isn't a significant amount of concern among Ohio State fans. I think even after they won the national championship in 2014, it was like immediately on to being concerned about what's coming next. Uh, And I say that somewhat jokingly, but look, this is the standard at Ohio State. And obviously, they've come off two years where I would say fans feel like they didn't meet the standard. Um, you know, obviously losing to Michigan and, and two years ago, not making even making it to the playoff. So I think, look, it's tough to really make. And I said this on our podcast after the game, it's tough to make like really sound statements about a lot of these teams early that haven't played anyone. I'm sure you're in a similar boat with the Michigan situation. Um, now, Ohio State did play Indiana, but I, you know, I, I still, as we've talked about, I don't think Indiana is going to be that great. And that was week one on the road. So I think there are definitely areas that you should be concerned about. I think the fact that Ohio state on either side of the line of scrimmage in the trenches, didn't bully a Youngstown state team is uh, a problem for this team, especially considering the lack of a pass rush that they had a year ago at times. And, and the fact that we knew coming in that this offensive line was going to be questioned questionable. Um, so I would say that there is some, some area for concern, but you know, as uh you know, the fans, I think probably always oversell things. And then the coaches try and like bring it back when we talk to them and, you know, Ryan day keeps saying that the things he sees are fixable, right. Especially on the offensive line. So we need to see those things be fixed. And there were some good plays from the offensive line in in this game. And and the defensive line did some things, especially on the interior, but I understand from a fan perspective, especially when, you know, two weeks from now, you've got to go to South bend and and Notre Dame stadium and play in, in a major game and, in that game, things will have to be at a much higher level than they've been through these first two weeks. So, it's definitely there's definitely concerns among Buckeye fans. I guess is the short answer to your question.
1: Yeah, and and if you've listened to this show throughout the week or throughout the weeks that we've done this, uh, Patrick, you've talked at, at length really about the offensive line mm-hmm. and particularly the the couple of new tackles. Uh, I believe it's the left tackle who's the transfer from San Diego State. Is is that yep. correct? Yep, uh, and I was I was reading coverage uh, over on on Bucknuts over on twenty four seven Sports. You guys do a great job, uh, but one thing that really stood out to me was that Ohio State through the first couple weeks of the season ranks one hundred twenty eighth in the country in third down conversion percentage, um, just a tick under seventeen percent. So certainly some areas to clean up. Uh, Western Kentucky uh, coming to town uh, this week and and should maybe give an opportunity. For that, uh, Patrick will be talking next week uh, with, with an eye to recap that. And then, of course, the biggest focus, looking ahead at what's going to be a really fun game against Notre Dame in a couple weeks. Patrick, thank you so much. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Pat underscore Murphy. Of course, follow all his work over at Bucknuts and at 24-7 Sports. Appreciate it, Patrick.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Behind Enemy Lines. For myself, Alejandro Suniga, and all our staff over at the Michigan Insider, thank you so much for listening. We have a lot more content over on our website, michigan.247sports.com. So if you're looking for in-depth breakdowns of the Michigan football team, of who's coming on recruiting visits this weekend, videos about the program, and much, much more, pretty much anything you could possibly want about what's becoming a very exciting season for the Wolverines, You can find that over at michigan.247sports.com. I'll
3: see you at the big house. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better